Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gautier. Welcome back to another episode of The Flow Line. Matt, now that we have your microchip in the recorder and mine's not working, how are you doing today? I'm good. We are recording now, right? We press the button? Yes. Good, because yes. we're a hot mess right now, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Um, okay. All right. <laughs> Full disclosure, took us about, well, took us a while to come up with an idea here for topic today. And then I was excited because I had my SanDisk microchip ready to go because normally I forget it. So then Matt has to save the day with his and mine wasn't working. So Matt had to save the day yet again, even though I thought I was prepared. However, we do have a great topic today, which is something that is, again, it's everyone who's listening to this is experiencing in some way, shape, or form. And the topic for today is, again, now that oil is no longer minus $37 per barrel, which feels great. Matt, how has it been since, you know, rewind? Do you remember what you were doing when oil was negative 37 or um, where you were? Probably at home. I was at home. Yeah. I remember sitting at the desk there and... I just remember like kind of, you know, it was in the middle of everything being so miserable and you're like, well, guess it can't get any worse than it is right now. You know, it was sort of surreal. I remember taking a screen capture of the like CNBC ticker yeah, or whatever and just kind of like, because, you know, it was forecast it was going to happen. It obviously happened, but it was just one of those where you're like, I have no idea where we go from here. Like you knew it was going to recover and all that, but it was just like, Will it be $200 oil for the rest of my career and I should, you know, start panhandling or, mm, right? you know, so it was just, you know, that awkward fear of the unknown and certainly like surreal moment. Mm-hmm. How about yourself? Yeah, I was at home working just off my kitchen. We have a nook that we call it. And that was before I actually committed myself to having an office because I only thought I was going to be working at home for two weeks which it obviously took a lot longer than two weeks. Two weeks to flatten the curve, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which we don't have to go there. But <laughs> I was in the kitchen essentially and I actually had at the time, you know, I'd be working throughout the day and I'd have the TV on on Bloomberg and just be kind of watching, you know, business news, this and that. And I just kept looking and it just kept going under and under. And I don't remember what I was doing on my computer, but then I just changed my position in my chair just to watch it. And I just my jaw dropped and I thought, well, yeah, is this like are we hitting an inflection point, not only in oil prices, but in my life? Like, where do I go from here? And it was a very eerie feeling, right? It's just because there were so many things happening in the world and it was an odd moment. But then, you know, fast forward, demand comes back roaring and here we are tickling 90. I don't know, it's today maybe even be 90. I haven't checked yet, but yeah, it's been an interesting road. Things are going well, but with oil prices coming back and oil demand coming back, it presents some challenges. And us that have been in the industry and we're fortunate enough to survive the downturn, there's things that we need to consider. And I think it'd be a good refresher to sort of talk about some of these things. What do you think? Absolutely. Okay. So, you know, growing back and by that, you know, oil prices growing back, demand's growing back. First and foremost, Matt, I mean, people, how many people do you know left the industry and are hesitant to come back or have really just said, we're not coming back? I mean, I know quite a few. And I think the interesting thing is, you know, I think Justin, you and I have been around enough. We've seen a couple of these. Nothing as crazy as the one we just saw, but like they've always been pretty miserable. 
And there's always a group of people who say, look, I don't have the stomach for this anymore. I'm out. And so there's people who are just, I'm going to go start up a new thing. And you probably, if, if you like check LinkedIn, you know, you have a bunch of connections who are now building custom homes or, yeah. you know, something that it's, you know, there's a family business they went back into. And so there's that. And even those people that left that said, I'm not coming back, that if wages go up enough, they'll come back. But there's a lot of people. It's just, you know, I think we've both talked about this business being, you know, it it pays well, but you got to save your money. Yeah. And so, yes, I can say I certainly know a number of people. I'm sure you know a number of people who said, look, the oil field is not for me. I don't have the stomach for this. Yeah. So it got smaller because the business wasn't as big, but there were also a lot of really talented people who just said, I want to do something else. Yeah. No, I mean, I have a customer who, or former customer who, you know, managed, shoot, I think they got up to nine rigs. Company had some challenges, got laid off, went to work at Amazon and was a warehouse manager managing, you know, just people that were, you know, essentially people coming in at a minimum wage job who really didn't take it serious. And so you think from going from managing drilling rigs and managing drilling engineers and drilling superintendents and company representatives to then managing 25-year-old essentially kids, you know, wearing pajamas and Crocs to work. It was just, it was a challenge for him. And at the time he said, man, if, you know, if there's anything like, let me know this and that. And he was very eager to get back in the oil field as soon as he could. And now, even though things are good, He's elected to go work and he got a great job over at a company called Carvana, the ones, you know, like yeah. the dispensing machines yeah, for cars. Yeah, cars, yeah. Yeah, now he's setting up a brand new one somewhere in Oklahoma and likes it and, you know, away you go. And so there's yeah. a lot of those examples, which now that things are busy, now we're not at 1,200 rigs, but we're busy enough to where we need people. And so, Matt, what happens and what are some of the challenges that come along with that? One is just finding these people, right? There are some people who haven't worked in a while. They're going to come back. They're going to be rusty. There could be a fair number of new people who say, well, okay, this is looks like it could be an interesting experience and an interesting opportunity. And the other part of it is there could be people that, I mean, quite frankly, the standards are lower, right? When you need people, you're not as selective and that can both mean you allow somebody who has less experience to take on a bigger task, or it could be simply that maybe somebody's not as good of a fit for a role as they could be if, you know, the business was tighter and you had choices of a number of people. Right. Right. So, I mean, finding those people that are willing to do a good job, regardless of where they're coming from, we know it's a nightmare and we seem to be very fortunate at finding them and specifically, you know, like Scott Goodblanket, Chris Campbell. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know how they keep finding these field personnel. Like yeah. they just do it and they have a standard to maintain while they do it. It's not get me a warm body. It's get me somebody who can deliver the level of quality and service we expect. Yeah. And then I think just like trying to train people. And I think, you know, my experience just talking. So we brought somebody onto our team in the lab and Lee kind of overseeing that. It's like, you got to slow down to speed up, but it's awesome. She's an awesome part of the team. We actually have two who, you know, but our most recent hire. And so we, we have a lot of, even though they have, they have similar experience, understanding what we do and processes and all that kind of thing. Yeah. It takes a little while. And, and now those people are going to offer huge contributions to our business. We already see it, but it's also, hey, so-and-so, can you go show somebody how to do this? Yeah. That all takes time and, you know, give it six months and they're, fully independent. They're learning on their own. It's fantastic. Right. But 
you know, that takes time. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times we're so busy as the people who could be doing the training that we have to sort of check ourselves and say, no, slowing down for this thing right now to help this person is the best investment of your time, Yeah, even though you have 500 things to do. Well, you know, I want to back up a little because you touched on some really good points. And one of them, you know, as we're shrinking and growing as an industry in these, you know, cyclical times, I think that's where, again, and I'm big on relationships and networking and stuff like that. But it's one thing when, when things are busy, essentially your day, it's busy with tasks and you're working internally with the folks around you and everything else. But it's so important, even internally, to develop good relationships and network with folks, because as things sort of ramp down and then ramp up. The, the same people you meet on the way up are going to be the same people you meet back on the way down. And so that's one thing that I've seen really beneficial for a lot of folks is as things have picked up, really leveraging the relationships you've built while things were, you know, in the dirt or, you know, on the way, wherever you were in, in your career as these things have progressed. But that's one part of it. And then, you know, us at AES, I mean, we've been extremely fortunate and we've worked so hard to grow and to really do well coming out of this. What are some of the sort of challenges that you've faced? Like, was it hard to find people? Like, as we were coming, you have to get, you know, into the details. But I mean, as a company, I'm sure it was tough because a lot of people, you know, if I had to guess coming out of graduate school are going, wanting to work at, you know, the Teslas or the Amazons or you know, some of these other maybe, you know, big fancy engineering firms, how do we navigate that? And how do we get ourselves weaved into good talent pools? I mean, I think there's a few different ways. I think one way is to try and make yourself visible. So that's Mm -hmm. one why we've pushed for like university engagement. You know, part of it isn't just like, I have a blast talking to students. I absolutely love it. They laugh at all my jokes. They think I'm smart, yeah. you know, like it's great. They're so naive. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> um, at the same time, even if they go work for somebody who could be our customer or our competitor for that matter, they get a sense of who we are. You know, we get to put out that vibe of this is who we are. And mm-hmm. in the same way, if somebody says, well, I find that really interesting, they might gravitate towards us, mm-hmm. you know, and, and we have hired students just through some of those connections. It doesn't happen often. You know, we're not a huge company. Sure. But I think trying to be visible and say, hey, this is who we are as far as a, you know, culture and that sort of thing, offering up some of that personality, I think sort of gets the people you want to gravitate towards you and an opportunity to say, this looks like something I want to be a part of. Yeah. I think, you know, the other part of it is, you know, if anybody's out there, you know, looking for a job or whatever, it's just interesting. It's so intimidating to interview for a job and it's scary. And look, one side of the table says, I accept you and what you've put together And the other side says, I hope this is good enough. Hmm. And unfortunately, like that's the narrative, either like if you're a prospective person is, but really it's like, we want to make sure it's a good fit. Like if we look like clowns hosting an interview, then do you want to go work for a clown company? Like I could have more than one option here. And, you know, like the power isn't all within the hiring company. Sure. As much as people say, I want a job, I really hope this works out. I think that's like a really important thing is- You know, we have to look like who we are at that. And we hope that, you know, if we don't put off the right vibe, it's because we're not the right fit for that prospective candidate. And at the same time, like, we want really great people here. We want talented, motivated people. And we we want to appear attractive, you know, to those folks. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. And there's a lot of really great people out there. And sometimes that might even mean that it's like a cultural thing. Right. We've interviewed some awesome people. I mean, I'm going through my whole history here. And I've found some amazing people that it just wasn't the right fit. And that sounds like a platitude, 
But like, it doesn't matter. It still really hurts to say, hey, we've chosen somebody else for this position. Yeah. But I guess, you know, there's kind of all of that. And then certainly just kind of, I think a lot of it is trying to make that person feel engaged as quickly as possible yep. from the outset of introduction. I think it's, yeah. it's a really interesting point you've made about, you know, kind of keeping in touch with your network on the way down, as you will. Yeah. Because that, it does actually matter more. The really hard thing with COVID has been interacting with people, you know, and you're not wandering hallways or bumping into people in restaurants. And so, like, that's been – and even, you know, from a professional level, trying to set up a meeting or whatever, it might not be kosher to do something in person. Yeah. I don't know kosher is the right term, but, like, it just – it might not meet people's health and safety standards or expectations or sensitivities for that matter. Yeah. I mean, again, and that's because oil and gas and especially our business is such a – in my opinion, it really relies heavily on those human interactions and those face-to-face -face meetings. And it's a term that I've sort of used more lately, but we rely heavily on consultative selling. It's not mm – -hmm. we don't just sell widgets – and products like we sell solutions and there's a lot of conversation and a lot of you know problem solving amongst peers and then that's just on the business side but then on the networking side outside of that we're an industry that's been known for functions and you know ADE casino nights mm -hmm. and you know happy hours and conferences and which again I'm sure it's in every industry but I don't know because I never have been in any other industry but again we really relied heavily on those human interactions and that really was tough and then all of a sudden you saw this boom in Zoom and LinkedIn conversations and this and that and the other. So thank goodness for technology. But, you know, again, a big shout out to us as AES. I think we've, you know, we were fortunate, again, to do well during the downturn, considering where we bolted on a lot of talent. Mm -hmm. And now we're growing on that, which is extremely fascinating to watch from the, you know, I didn't say outside, but watching it, you know, as we hire people, because I'm not involved with that as much. But with that comes, you know, if you're new to the industry, there's certainly some things or even, you know, if you've been out for a while and coming back in, but Matt, what are some of the things that new folks coming in sort of we can relay as advice to those types of folks? I mean, I think one is definitely try and pursue some information, try and hear as many perspectives as possible, because especially like, I mean, given some of our recent episodes, you understand what oil field cynical is. The first time you hear something is the only source of information you have, and it can dramatically bias your perception of something that yeah. it just takes a while to realize, okay, that's not the whole picture. Or maybe because of my experience, I saw this a different way than it really is. And so, you know, seeking information, you know, listen to the flow line podcast, yeah. if you have some time. You know, For sure. Yeah. But I think a lot of that ties into not only seeking information, but seeking information from people where you, you know, if it's your new coworkers, what information has made you successful? Where do I find it? I don't want to take up your time, but was there something that made you really successful here as far as understanding products or understanding technology or, you know, yeah. these kinds of things, you know, how can I get to what you know in as little time as possible? Right. And I think that that actually does two things for you. I mean, one, it gets you information that you probably really need, but I think the other thing is that builds relationships yeah. And you'll notice one of the biggest problems with virtual is I can't walk down the hallway and see how somebody's doing. I have to intentionally reach out to them for fear of disrupting their work time. Yeah. Do I make an appointment and say, hey, for the next 30 minutes, can we talk about what? Well, nothing really. Yeah. You know, it's hard versus you, you know, bump into someone in the break room where you're getting a glass yeah. of water. And so 
I think that's been one of the things that you even read in like Harvard Business Review and some of these others that like the banks, they're having this huge problem because none of their new people can get onboarded because like they've never physically met their boss. Yeah. You know, and you know, that's pretty important. And I don't know a clever way to do that as we struggle with figuring out the right thing to do with Omicron and, you know, whatever Greek letter we get to before we just, you know, start moving on with our lives. But in the midst of it, trying to build some of those relationships, whether it, maybe it's text messages, I don't know, just finding ways to build relationships with people within your organization and then maybe even externally, which was kind of the next one. And Justin, I think I wrote it down, but you're really good at this. So I'm going to I'm going <laughs> to say it and then I'm going to ask you to comment on yeah. building relationships so that, you know, later on if you don't know something, you can phone a friend that might. Yeah. No, it's interesting, right? Because in my career and in my role, a lot of it is, you know, seeking opportunity and essentially I'm part of my responsibility and most of it is to sell drilling fluids. I mean, that's, you know, get out there and do that. But with that also comes, and again, I would, you know, do this, I would encourage this to anybody is when it comes to building relationships, don't think you have to build transactional relationships with people that are directly tied to your job or your discipline. I have met so many people outside of drilling fluids, you know, maybe on the directional side, maybe on the bit side, geologists, you know, folks that don't have anything directly to do with drilling fluids, but you know, it's about expanding your network and you can really start to kind of piece things together. And while they may not provide an opportunity to, you may not be able to sell your solutions or sell your product to that person, but just getting out there ultimately provides, for me, it increases the surface area for opportunity to land on. You just never know where you'll get invited to, who you'll meet, but really to kind of actually give some like context to it is, you know, going to different events, joining webinars, free, there's tons of free webinars. If you're interested in learning about something, one thing that interests me that isn't really directly tied to drilling fluids is the private equity space and just more like the finance side of things. Well, there's tons of free finance webinars that are hosted by people. And on there, you get to introduce yourself, you add them to LinkedIn, you grab coffee. Next thing you know, you're learning about something that you otherwise would have never learned about. Mm. And you may have, but When it comes to that, there's a lot of opportunities, but you have to be vulnerable enough to put yourself out there. And it's tough for folks, especially if you're new, you know, you're not just going to hit someone up on LinkedIn that you don't know and say, hey, you want to grab coffee? Like there's a kind of a way of doing it that is respectful and to build relationships. If you're new and you're trying to build a relationship with someone who has a bunch of experience, again, offer up some value. Like there's a lot of times people will try and get something from somebody and it's like, hey, I want to meet for coffee, but I have this thing to sell you. That's the wrong approach. But if you can really just offer up, like whether it's information or something that someone will value their time doing, I think that's extremely important. So there's a bunch of different avenues to go down, but even events. I mean, there's a lot of free events, but you could just Google oil field, like Houston oil field events, and there's tons. And now that things are opening up, I mean, I think between now and April, like I could list an event every week. Like there's yeah. tons out there. And, it's and, and really if, busy. It, it is. And if your employer supports networking, which I think every company should nowadays, they'd be silly not to, maybe they'll pay for a $30 ticket to go to some luncheon. Mm. I mean, ADE does them all the time. And yeah. so again, I could babble about this forever, but I'm a huge proponent of it. And so hopefully everyone out there, whether you're experienced or not, get out and network. And that's one of the things that talking to senior people that 
either aren't able to get back in the industry or who have been in it, the biggest regret is not networking enough. So anyway, that's my two cents. No, I mean, I think that's huge. And this is true at every level. So if you're a mud engineer and you get to know the directional guy on the rig, even at that level, like don't yeah. take that for granted just because if y'all stick around long enough, you might both be in sales. Yeah. And you're going to have these fond memories of breaking out together, right? Yeah. And so, I mean, the thing is, I've had a few people call me recently with, you know, things they're with other companies now or whatever. And they're, you know, hey, I wanted to do an introduction. Do you mind? It's like, look, I'll pick up the phone for you any day. Like, yeah, yeah I know you're calling me because you got a job to do. But yeah. like, we always got along. I have no be Like, certainly as a courtesy and out of respect for the work you've done, I'd certainly have a meeting with, you know, somebody who has something that may or may not work out. But yeah, your job is to make those connections. I mean, that stuff happens even, you know, on the technical level. Like, we've gone out to lunch with some different engineers and design engineers for, you know, directional tools and other things. And it's just fascinating what you can learn from them. Yeah. And it's not in a book anywhere and they're not hiding anything and we can help them. And it's just one of those, yeah, being able to have those relationships so you can phone a friend. So it's not necessarily the sandbox you're playing in, Yeah, but it's nearby. Right. And because a lot of times you can be a valuable asset to your company or just your network, if you can be a resource. I have a ton of people, like I worked in Denver for a while. I'll have folks in Denver call me and say, hey, do you know anyone in Houston who does X, Y, Z? Oh yeah, I know them. They don't work for AES, they're not a customer, but then you're able to facilitate you know, an interaction and perhaps they get to do business together. I mean, that's extremely rewarding. And so all of a sudden, then they're like, wow, Justin or Matt or whoever helped facilitate an interaction. Next time you need somebody, hey, I'm going to Denver and looking to talk to so-and-so. I noticed you're you know, friends with them on LinkedIn. Oh, of course. Yeah, I'll help you out. Like That's where that all happens. And then real lastly, just talking on the rig level, networking on the rig is extremely important too. As an example, when I was a mud engineer on an inland barge, there was this young engineer who came out, just graduated college, wanted to learn, so they threw him in the field. Ten years later, he's my best customer. Mm. I mean, yeah. I took the time to show him things on a rig. We developed a relationship. I probably didn't see him for six years before all of a sudden, you know, he's in a position to, you know, he's in the position to make decisions, purchase drilling fluids. We kind of pick up where we left off on the rig eating, you know. You showed him the pictures you'd taken and <laughs> yeah, he had yeah. no choice, right? Exactly. Yeah. So again, th these things come back and whether it's a year, 10, 12 years later, again, it's extremely important. And I'm sure everyone out there is like, okay, yeah, we get the point. Network, network, network. And a note that you made here, Matt, is it's probably been done before. And I think you'll be do a good job of explaining this. What do you mean by that? I mean, I think you come in and you have more energy than experience, generally speaking. You're excited. It's new. You might be younger, what have you. But you come in and you're like, aha, I see a problem that we can fix. Mm -hmm. And you're like, man, this is my first shot at, you know, <laughs> doing this. And... We just continue to run into a lot of this with folks where, and it's one of the reasons I really like to read like the patents and go way back in the history of technology, uh, at least, Yeah, is because I want to see if it's been done before because a lot of, I mean, look, the whole, why does Matt hate Afrons? Like that whole thing is it's been done before and we kind of know that, but like, it sounds new, it seems fresh, right. we got a new potential application and you know what? I think asking basic questions, no matter how basic they might be, is great. I just also like want everyone to keep in mind, and certainly if you're new at it, like 
as excited as you get, do as much homework as you can to see if someone's tried this before. What Good did they point. do wrong? What did they do right? Why is it different than what you're doing? How could you give it a big chance for success? Just because, I mean, and it's really interesting if you get around, I just think it's interesting. Like if you talk to a warehouse worker who's been working in the warehouse for 20 years and they're like, look, I don't really know what this stuff is, but this is like the third time we've tried this. Like just (laughs) sometimes it's in the least expected places you'll find out like, oh, I'm not turning the industry upside down like I thought, you know, like, and, and it's somebody's like, oh, you again, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah. So I guess the risk I see is that people get really excited and that tends to make them kind of hard headed, like don't rain on my parade. We're doing this. Mm. And sometimes it's worth trying, but there's other times where I really think it's like, take a step back. And the most powerful thing you can do when you're new is listen. And I mean, it doesn't mean it's a bad idea. Just understand why it would or wouldn't work Yeah, because we, I mean, I don't know. I think we as a service company do pretty well off of people thinking the same thing will work. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's years, you know, no, that's really interesting. And I mean, I I remember when I was as a roughneck on a drilling rig, I always thought I had these grand ideas and I I always wondered like why people would just laugh and say like, essentially they would poop on my parade. And I thought, man, this would be great. And then people are somewhat have their egos in front of them, but finding people that would actually educate me say that was actually tried multiple times and you're young, you're eager, inexperienced. We get it, but just stay in your lane, little boy, Yeah, you know, but then, you know, coming into now, it's like, yeah, do your research. And I mean, that is the point is I think it's important for folks to have a voice and speak up and provide ideas, but you can probably avoid a little bit of embarrassment if you just spent six minutes Googling whatever idea it is you have. So Again, stay curious, have a voice, but do your research. And I think you'll find yourself in a good position. Matt, this is, again, something I think you could speak on. I don't typically, well, no. So someone who's experienced, we're both experienced, but so for you, you're managing people, you're having people come in underneath you that don't necessarily have the experience, but you as a manager who has the experience, what are some of the things that you've had to really sort of consider and focus so that I guess you don't implode with frustration. (laughs) I mean, I think the first thing is just trying to be patient. And I think this goes if you work for a service company, working with customers, if you work for an operator, working with service companies, not everyone is going to know what you know or be able to do it in the timetable that you think it could be done. Like we always overestimate how much we're going to get done in a day. Yeah. Um, (laughs) There's a book called Deep Work, which I really enjoyed. And it's just about maximizing your productivity and that sort of thing. But the guy is in academia, and so he's like, well, I only have office hours these days of the week, and I do this, and I do that. And it's like, well, okay, so you're a tenured professor. Like, you can't be fired. You pretty much do whatever you want, and you can structure your whole day around being productive where I have my whole day planned out and a customer calls, right. you know? But anyways, he says, you know, break everything out into 30-minute periods of what you're going to work on. And so mm. I'll do that in the morning, and I'll realize normally by lunchtime, I'm nowhere near on task. You know, it's not even close. Yeah. And his argument is, well, if you do that enough, you'll realize what's really practical and you'll get better at it. Uh, and yeah, fair enough. Yeah. I don't think he's wrong. I just think it's way more practical for somebody working for themselves or yeah. in academia than for us. But it goes back to if you've done something before or the concept of doing something, it's like, that should only take 30 minutes. <laughs> and you realize you're working with some new people They've got to ask questions. They might be afraid to ask you, whatever. And, you know, that requires patience. And kind of 
circles back into, you know, be ready to educate people. The hardest part when you're really busy and you have new people is that you have to slow down to help get them at a level that's productive that it actually like multiplies the amount of work being done. Yeah. And so with that, it's no, let's stop. Let's, let's write on the whiteboard. This is what you're doing right now. This is why this matters. You know, here's the concept behind it. And people really appreciate that, but it's hard when you're really busy, you're just trying to get stuff done and you're trying to push other people too. Right. Mm -hmm. But that's one of those, I, I continually have to remind myself because many things that happened years ago in my head now never took that long, but I'm sure they took a lot longer than my boss at the time would have liked. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. No, that's a good point. It's yeah. Going back to every morning I'll write, okay, a to-do list for the day. And while I think it should be easy to knock out those 10, 12, 14 tasks, whatever it is. Yeah. There's a lot of, you know, I'll usually take a lot of those and push them to the next day because I just simply don't get the time or again, things, you know, in our business, you can get sidetracked pretty easily because things can come up that require attention immediately. Because again, we're in drilling operations. You can't say, oh, I'll wait till tomorrow. Well, no, that'll cost the customer like $100,000. Like, you got to give them an answer now. or And then with that comes, you know, perhaps consulting with people inside or whatever the case may be. But one thing that I've learned over the years, I've kind of steered away from it, which I'm kind of upset at myself that I did, but you'd have your list. And then you would separate it by A, B, and C, A being critical, B being it needs to be done, but it's not like absolutely. And then C's are like, you know, just when you get to them, they need to get done. And that was a, for a while while, and it actually was while I was in school, it, it was very helpful because then I knew I look at the A's and I needed, I knew I needed to knock those out. And it kind of just psychologically helped me knock things off the list. Mm -hmm. Whereas you just have this huge list and Okay, do I start at one or you kind of have to go through which, which one's critical this and that. So anyway, everyone's got their own ways of doing it. But with that being said is you're never done learning, even as an experienced professional to claim to be an expert. I think sometimes people claim it, whether they are or not is whatever, but it's important to keep learning because our industry is continuing to evolve. Markets continue to change. People change, cultures change, and there's always new things coming up. And whether it's old technology being <laughs> redressed and you know marketed as something new, you can always learn something. And so, and especially now that we're integrating a lot of technologies, especially with digitalization, automation, you know, all the buzzword type stuff, kind of staying up to date on that, I think is extremely important. And it's just kind of staying relevant in the marketplace. And Matt, especially on your guys' side of things with different products and then having to keep up with you know, supply chain, raw material stuff. And I mean, how do you keep yourself educated on what's going on? I mean, I think a lot of it is having people to talk to. I think, you know, a lot of it too is realizing you can't know it all. And so, you know, for example, with different people on the team saying, hey, why don't you try and wrap your head around this concept? Because I think this is going to be a big cost driver for us. And so let's get ahead of it. But I personally don't have time, but I need you to go tell me what you found out. Yeah. Which is hard. It's hard to let go of, especially if you think it's important. But then you have somebody come back and educate you and you say, okay, well, these are the factors and, you know, that sort of thing. Or let's go meet with some people and find out more about this. But, you know, I read a ton of technical papers. I really try and find the history behind a lot of things. I think that natural curiosity has kept me out of trouble. And then I think, quite honestly, you know, you kind of have to have some humility. You mentioned, you know, what makes you an expert? It's one of those, like, 
I don't really know. Like, are you the least worst option of knowledge in the room? And <laughs> so like, you know, you always know somebody knows more about something than you sure. or at least an element of it. And so yeah. I'm really reluctant even to say like, well, I'm the expert here. And I think that comes down to the fact that it's just, I know there's more to know. I don't have it all mastered and I don't think anybody does. Right. And so with all that, you're never finished learning. Even if you think it's foolish or the wrong track or whatever, understanding the premise behind it and the intentions. And even if you believe why it won't work, solidify why you don't think it won't work or why you could be wrong. And I would just say, you know, that part of the learning process, if you go back to the fundamentals of how some of these things work, which a lot of this information is freely available, at least on the technology side, one thing that we've talked about is, you know, the rigs are different there's a lot of things that are completely different than what it was back then. And it might just be that the rigs or the pumps are strong enough now that you can do something you couldn't do before. Right. You know, when we talk about how sweeps are, you know, really completely unnecessary for most unconventional applications, given the circulating systems we have, Yeah. but people still try and do it. Well, why do they try and do it? Well, you know, go back, go back, go back, see where you came from and see where you're headed. And it may be these pieces fit together in different ways. And so even when you think you mastered it 10 years ago, it's not the same. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it sounds very much like a platitude. It's just for how, you know, sometimes opinionated I can be, if I'm too vocal about it, that's usually about the time somebody just walks up, points out something where I look like a complete moron. <laughs> so, you know. Well, at least you can say that. I appreciate that. Yeah. No, and that's true. And I think with that also comes the more you can continue to educate yourself that just allows you to train and equip the people under you or even around you, working with you, working under you, because a lot of them look up to, you know, especially as a manager like you are, to kind of come up with the ideas or at least to have an understanding if someone in the lab is, is doing something. Well, Matt, like, how is this going to work? And do you think we should go this? How should we do that? And so really, like you have noted here, more gets done if you really prepare the people that are working under you. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? Well, I mean, I would say that the one thing I've experienced is I've been in situations where I've had some, you know, responsibility where I could actually tell somebody like, hey, I want you to work on this and I'm going to work on this. Mm -hmm. But I've been in a position most of the time where I'm doing a lot of the work. And a lot of that has changed since we've had some new people come on board and organizationally things have changed and, you know, all for the better. But what it's amounted to is there are certain times where it's like, okay, well, I don't have to worry about anything. You know, Lee's got the lab covered. Ricky's got this customer handled. Andrew's taking care of products. Addy's, you know, got all of our, you know, marketing stuff out there. Data analytics is great with Charles. And like, you know, so then I look around and I'm like, well, what do I do? And that's a good place to be in a way, except for the way that all of those people do their jobs better is how more gets done for the whole company. If I tried to do it all by myself, it would be one person yeah. doing one thing. But when, you know, all of our overlapping responsibilities and everything is like, hey guys, this is the theme. This is what we want to carry out. Bring all your ideas. I'll offer you a little bit of direction on what I think that looks like in your context. Mm. And then you go do it. And now they're doing more. And it's, you know, you think you've got a great idea, but it's actually going to get implemented because you're not trying to do it all yourself. Yeah, And so... Not only do those ideas end up better because you get diversity of thought and perspective, but you also, you're getting a lot more work done. 
you're helping these other people grow by giving them some responsibility. Yeah. And if you have a vision you're excited about, you get to see it carried out. And that's pretty cool. Yeah. No, that's a really neat point. And it's cool because I remember being here back in the, you know, essentially the legacy FMI days. And because we were quite a lot smaller, a lot of people wore many hats and it was almost you had to pick and choose which projects you were going to work on and you would work on them until, you know, kind of off and on until you had it done. And it was always sort of a dream or a wish. Wow, I wish we had a department that we could lean on to do this so we could do our job. And now to be able to see that, yeah, it's exponential growth and productivity, which is fascinating, especially now that we've, again, added on a bunch of talent and, you know, we're growing different departments. It's really interesting to see. But at the end of the day, there's (laughs) growing presents challenges. But in this cyclical industry that we're in, I'm sure we're going to go on a run and then there's going to be, it's going to somehow things are going to change and we're going to go back to hopefully not having to lay a bunch of people off at negative 37 barrels, dollars a barrel, but you know, you never know. That's uh, the oil field. But I mean, keep in mind, if we had $150 a barrel oil, which we don't want, and it dropped to 75, that would still be very painful, right? Yeah. I mean, it would, it would grow to a certain point to sustain those economics. And then when those changed, you know, the pain would come back. And right. I think thankfully, everybody's licked their wounds for long enough and see the good fundamentals, aka the woeful underinvestment in fossil fuels <laughs> and development therein and exploration for that matter, yeah. that there's something that this thing hopefully has teeth. And then you say, okay, yeah, we can grow or we can think about growth, not survival. But, you know, the nature of the oil field is always some level of uncertainty. And so, yeah, I mean, I think so much about the nature of these cycles and I mean, at my old company, you know, I'm trying to find a nice way to say this. So I'll just say it was frustrating when you really needed help or you really needed people. And so the joke was, you know, if you think a downturn's bad, what do you see an upturn with these folks? You know, (laughs) because they'll basically squeeze you and squeeze you and squeeze you until work starts slipping away and that sort of thing. And, you know, I really appreciated the approach that Baxter basically said, look, we're going to hold on to as many as we can within reason, but we're going to have this core we're going to work off of. And if there's opportunities, we're taking them. Recognize that the price of oil is not going to stay negative $37 or whatever miserable low price for forever. Mm-hmm. And when it does bounce back, we're going to be the best suited to do it. Right. And I think that's, you know, been 100% true of all the companies under CES. Yep. And it's really neat to see where you've got a lot of energy back and enthusiasm. And hopefully we get to welcome some people who are new to the industry or, you know, coming back. And then certainly, you know, with all the experienced hands that are looking to find another great place to work. It's an exciting time. I mean, that's not like an open advertisement for employment or anything. Like, <laughs> do you look for postings on. Yeah. But the point is, you know, there's enough optimism here that we need to look forward to growth, but that's going to require adjustments and it's going to require some maneuverability. And I think those of us who've been around for a while get frustrated at You know, especially with customers, you know, you know, it's a bad idea. You try and explain it. It's got a lot of risks. Yeah. And it's, you know, well, they don't have experience. Well, it's we're going to do everything we can to educate them. Yeah. We want to make them look good. And a great way to do that is to, you know, give them the information so that they can look really good and especially avoid making mistakes that make them noticeable. Yeah. You know, no, that's so true. And again, and it's an interesting conversation and one that I've had with many folks. And if anyone out there has any thoughts or is experiencing some of the things that we're discussing today, we'd love to hear from you. I mean, again, we talk very highly of our company, which 
again, is, you know, it's hard not to, you know, visit our website. We have a careers page and there's always postings. Again, we're growing. So yeah, I encourage anyone out there who's looking to, again, visit the website and, you know, see what kind of opportunities there are. And especially as things continue to pick up, whether oil goes to 150 or not, who knows, but, you know, things are forecasted to continue to get busy, at least for this year. So yeah, keep on the lookout and engage with us on LinkedIn. Or if you want to hit us up on email at the Flowline podcast at aesfluids.com. Matt, you got any closing last words, buddy? No, just everybody be good. That's right. Well, until next time, everyone, take care. Bye. Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of The Flow Line. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.